0: What is going on, everyone? Welcome to a theology of hustle. I'm your host, Curry Blandford, and today I'm talking to Carrie O'Toole. Uh, I just have to tell you that right now, that off the bat, that this story is going to rock you. <laughs> Carrie has an incredible story, uh, a story of of pain, of loss, and of also, I think, joy in finding. Um, God in those difficult places. And so um, this is a story of trials, but also uh, great joys in seeing God just show up uh, and the the realness of God. And so Carrie does life coaching. She's an author. She's a speaker. Uh, but she does all of this around a specific topic in the adoption world, which is relinquishment. Uh, now, that's not a topic that most of us have probably ever heard of or thought about. Uh, Even in the adoption world, it's Not that well known, honestly. What happens with the relinquishment? But sometimes uh, kids come into care that uh, just have so much trauma or so much stuff going on that uh, it's not—it doesn't work for the family, and and relinquishment has to happen. And so uh, we get that story in in this one. I think this is a real profound story. It's a really important story. It's one uh, that we need to understand. I mean, yeah, this is part of it and so i think carrie does an amazing job unpacking her story for us um and i think uh for anyone out there hurting they can really like Lean into this story and just uh, uh, Experience alongside her the the Heartbreak but also yeah like I said Seeing God and so I can't wait for you to hear Her she's got a great story Uh, Make sure and check out uh, all that she's Got going on I'll make sure and leave links uh, In the podcast notes there So you can just see what she has uh, going on Uh, I just want to quickly Remind you to make sure you're following me on Instagram and Facebook at Theology of Hustle and on Twitter at Curry Blandford just to make sure you know what's Going on with the podcast you're staying Up to date and all of that stuff, and yeah, I hope you enjoy this interview with Carrie. All right, well, Carrie, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast with me. It's uh, it's good to see you. It's good to talk a little bit.
1: Absolutely, good to see you too.
0: Yeah, so let's just uh, start off the podcast by just having you sort of introduce yourself to everybody.
1: All righty. Well, I'm Carrie O'Toole, and I work as a life coach. I've got a degree in counseling and actually in human services, specializing in marriage and family therapy.
2: Okay.
1: And um, I'm also a certified crisis responder. So I, I, I learned about that because the clientele that I work with typically have PTSD and okay. I wanted to understand what's going on in our brains and how, how grief and trauma kind of fit together. Mm-hmm. So I went on and, and got some special certifications in that as well.
0: Okay, awesome, awesome. So, it, so now you, uh, so what you do? What do you do now?
1: <laughs> I mainly work with adoptive parents okay. who are in a couple of different places. One, they are just kind of at the end. They don't know if they can do this anymore. They don't know sure. how to even tell if they can do it anymore. How, you know, they're they're so overwhelmed, and everyone they go to. No one has any answers right. for them. So, you know, I typically work with with clients where um, their family is totally traumatized. Okay. Their marriage may be falling apart. Other kids are really struggling. The adopted or foster child that they've got in their home, sometimes there's some violence. Sometimes there's self-harm. Sometimes it's mm. just more uh we there's either overt things or covert things and sure. overt is more you know violent tendencies stuff like that but covert can be just as damaging there's right. a lot of um psychological uh drama going on sure. and typically the moms in this relationship are feeling super traumatized and they mm. don't even realize it because it's become their normal and so they don't even understand. Many of these moms don't even know that they have been traumatized. Sure. They just feel like their families are totally out of control and they don't know what to do. Hmm. So I, I can I work with them to help them figure out what resources they have left, how much they have left to give, what have they tried, what have they not tried. Um, because many times I don't go into this going, okay, well, let me tell you what to do.
0: Right, right.
1: Because most of these people have done more than you or I will ever attempt.
0: Right, right. Yeah, they've they've seen all the people or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're on first
1: name basis with, you know, (laughs) sheriff and... (laughs) Right,
0: yeah, exactly.
2: Got (laughs) all the phone numbers.
1: They've they've got them on speed dial. So, um, yeah, these are not um, people who haven't tried. Mm -hmm. These are people who have been working at this for a bit. And they don't know what to do. And many times, you know, I never make a decision for them. I don't give them guidance in what to do. I just kind of walk them through and ask good questions to help them figure out what they need to do and figure out how bad the trauma is. And what we're finding is that many times it's really difficult to heal trauma when the triggers are living in your home.
0: Right, right.
1: And when everyone is triggered, you know, it's yeah. one thing if it's only the child that has the trauma yeah. and the parents are, are pretty stable, but once the parents are traumatized too, and all the other kids in the home are traumatized, how do you calm that down?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's tough. Good. Yeah. That is, that so is that's tough. kind of what I do. Yeah, that's just a, I just do this little thing. <laughs> I just have yeah. this one, this one little thing I do. Yeah. That's this one little yeah. niche. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But okay. Okay. So before we get too far down that road, though, let's, let's <laughs> <Why>? back up. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. But let's back up and let's walk through a little bit of your story, if you yeah. don't mind. So, yeah. how did you get to where you are today?
1: You bet. Well, obviously, you don't just fall into this <laughs> <Right>. kind of <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> make it up in your head. Hey, I right. have an idea. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, uh, my husband and I, Bob, his name is Bob. Uh, we have been married 33 years and, um, struggled with infertility for a bit. And, um, we adopt, so I have an adopted brother. Uh, he was adopted from Vietnam. We got him when I was about seven and he and I were always very close. And I remember thinking when I was a little kid, Hey, one day I'm going to go to Vietnam. You know? And so when my husband and I got married, even before we got married, we talked about adoption. And that was just always sort of a thing in our family, like, oh, of course, you just do this, you know. Right. Yeah. For some people it's a little weird, but for us that's what we do. Yeah. So um when we struggled with the infertility. Vietnam did not pop into our heads, but we did think about adoption. And so our oldest son, Brendan, we adopted, he's now 27. We adopted him at birth and we were actually at the hospital when he was born. It was an amazing, amazing thing. Yeah. You know, we knew that his birth mom, she had chosen us and we knew that she was in labor. And so we were at the hospital and we were actually standing right outside the room when he was born. So we heard his first cry and uh, the doctor said to her, do you want to hold him? And she said, are his parents here? Wow. Go get his parents. And mm-hmm. so we were brought into the room and handed the baby and everyone in the room was crying. The doctors, the nurses, us, the baby, you know, yeah. everyone was crying. It was just wow. amazing. That's
2: awesome.
1: So that was quite an experience. And then um, right after his adoption was finalized, <laughs> I found out I was pregnant. So who knew?
2: There you go. There you go. go. Yeah.
1: You hear all those stories. So, yeah. yeah. So our daughter, Katie, is 26. And um, she's actually due with her first baby any day. Okay. So we're sitting as here waiting. Okay, labor. Nope. Okay, keep going.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was I was not even sure if the interview was gonna I know, happen. I, was, I know. know. So this is how pretty, I'm exciting. living right
1: now. It's like, yes, I can schedule this appointment, <laughs> but I have to let you know there's a chance.
0: <laughs>
1: but we're here. So
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: I yeah. And so when they were about seven and eight, um they kind of ganged up onto a, on us and tag teamed with this, hey, we want a little brother. Uh, What what are you going to do about this? We want a little brother. (laughs) And I just said, you guys, mom's body doesn't work so great in that department. And they're like, "Ooh, gross. We're not talking about a baby. We just want a brother.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, that's funny.
1: (laughs) You know, pre-made, ready to go. So we kind of started thinking about with seven and eight-year-olds, we thought, okay, well, what if we were to get like a four or five-year-old, you know, maybe that. That'd be a great scenario. They'd all play together and we'd live happily ever after and wouldn't have to start over with this baby stuff. So that was what we thought. And we decided to call the adoption agency. We went through the same agency we had adopted our first son through. And um, they said, do you have any concerns? And I said, well, you know, this was back in 2000. So internet was not huge yet. There was no Facebook. There were no support groups or anything. We were out yeah. there on our own thinking, you know, we've done this before and I have a brother and everything turned out fine. Let's just adopt, you know, yeah. no no biggie. So I just said, you know, I'd heard about something with kids at this time. The only news out there on attachment or anything was about Russian block orphanages where these kids Mm. weren't able to bond or, you know, and they were leaving them in cribs for hours. And so I said, we don't want that. Right. We know that we don't want to deal with that. And they said, well, um, then they said, is race an issue? And we said, no, they said, Oh, then you want to go to Vietnam because they treat them just like family there. Interesting. And that was, what we had always said, Hey, mm. one day, let's go to Vietnam. So right. this obviously was God, you know?
2: Yeah. yeah. Right.
1: At least the way that we knew at that time, yeah. how in, yeah, God your, speaks, yeah. you know, right. get, yeah. get a coincidence or whatever. And there you go. So, uh, we decided we were going to go to Vietnam and we ended up adopting our son who in public, I call him Sam. And, um, he was almost four, not quite three and a half, to four when Mm. we brought him home. And while we were in Vietnam, we noticed some things that were concerning. And we even had this very, um, expensive, long conversation calling home, talking to this, uh, liaison that they had between the adoption agency and the workers in Vietnam. And Mm. we said, you know, we're, we're kind of concerned here. He, there's some strange behaviors. And, um, like really high pain tolerance, we watched him run headlong into a wall and then fall down on the floor and crack his head on the cement floor and then he started to laugh, huh, and we're like that is odd,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: and there were just some other bizarre things he the way he was eating the our first our first meal with him we ordered some food at the rest or at the hotel and had it brought up to our room. And we didn't know what we were ordering, you know, but we just got a couple of dishes and put them on the, there was no table in the room other than the little coffee table. So we put it down there and there were some chopsticks and forks and stuff. And we just gave it to them. And our kids went up and started, you know, just eating a bite here and a bite there. And, He went up, grabbed a handful, stuffed it in his mouth, started running around the table, stuffed some more in, laughed hysterically, ran around the table, stuffed and laughed and ran and ran and ran around the table and around the table. And we just were like sitting there with our mouths open watching. And then he just threw it all up.
0: Whoa.
1: And we're like, okay, what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) And it was yeah. scary.
0: No kidding. Oh my goodness.
1: So we're like, what do we do? So on that phone call home, two things happened. One, they had us make an appointment with this Western clinic. Because there were several other things too. There, We were concerned about hearing loss. Um, he was scratching all over his body and we didn't know what all the marks were on his body. <clears throat> he had... Um, A big scar on his foot. So we wanted to get him in and checked out. So uh, we did take him in. That was one thing that happened. And it was good because the doctor there just basically said, It's really noisy here. You're not pronouncing his name right. He has selective listening. You know, his his hearing's fine. Just get him home to America where it's where it's quiet and you'll be fine. That's that's no big deal. The scratching was due to scabies, so they gave him medication. Um, we actually had to take two trips to Vietnam. So the first trip was to meet him. We did all of this. And then six weeks later, we had to leave the country and come back six weeks later. And uh, that's when we were to pick him up. And I had brought back boatloads of scabies medication. And I had to go through this huge process to get it translated and all of this kind of stuff. We got it to them. And the people at the orphanage said, thanks but we're not going to use it because the next kid that comes in is going to have it anyway. And we'll, we'll go through all the medication. The kids will all clear up. Then the next kid will come in. They'll have scabies too, and they'll all get it again. Yikes. So, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And the foot thing they told us was uh, he had had a club foot and it had been repaired by a missionary doctor. They thought it was good work. So we're good. We're all all good to go. So that was one thing they told us on that phone call. And the other thing they told us was the nuns, this was a Catholic orphanage, and the nuns had prayed for us, and this was who God said our child was. Hmm. So we could either, either take him and go, or we could leave him and get out of the country as soon as possible. Wow. And we were there with our two other kids and had spent 20 grand to get there. And, you know. Right. It's like
0: all the things. Yeah.
1: What do you do? Mm -hmm. We're we're overwhelmed and scared, but then also feeling like, well, if God called us to this, then we'll be okay. He'll He'll figure it out. We'll get through it. You know. Yeah. So that's how our journey into international adoption started. And like I said, that was we. Well, we our first trip was in two thousand, and we got home in two thousand one. Okay. early January, 2001 with this little three and a half year old and life was crazy from day one. I remember calling home from on the second trip. My husband didn't go with me. My mom and my, my Vietnamese brother actually went with oh, really? me and it was oh, okay. his first trip back huh. since he wow. had been adopted. So we, there's just a, a story with him while we were in country, our son was really having a hard time one night. He would wake up at three or four in the morning and just cry and cry and cry and try and get out of the room. He'd go mm-hmm. to the door and just try to escape. You know, we kept asking people, would you tell him what's happening? And they'd say, he's just a child. So nobody would explain anything to him. Right. So who knows what he thought?
2: Yeah. You know, we're right.
1: kidnapping him. We're just,
2: <laughs> right. he, he doesn't
1: know when he's, if he's going back where we're going the kids weren't there on this trip so you know on the first trip they could play a little bit and that made it easier but this trip it was just me my mom and my brother and it was right. crazy hmm. so one morning he had been screaming for about an hour and my brother came out of his room and our son he didn't want anything to do with me he would literally sit on the floor and turn his back to me hmm. and my brother came out of the room and he's vietnamese and He held his arms up to him because he wanted to be picked up. Oh, wow. So my brother picked him up and he stood there and our son is crying. And at this point, my brother starts crying so heavily that my mom and I helped walk him over to the couch to sit him down because he's holding him. Hmm. And so they're both just sitting there sobbing. And my mom said, what is it? And my brother said, I just know. I just know. And it was so heart-wrenching yeah. watching wow. that, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, everywhere we went in Vietnam, my brother would get stopped and people would look at him and they would say, Vietnam? And he'd say, yeah, Vietnam. But they'd say, you big. Because he, you know, he was only 5'9", but yeah, he played football in high school and had an American diet, right? you <laughs> right. know. He was a big guy. Yeah. And so it was bizarre for him because he never really felt like he fit in the U.S. And then he goes to Vietnam and he doesn't fit there either.
2: Hmm.
1: And so, you know, just watching all of that was like, okay, this is our son's future or at least a potential, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we got home and everybody kept saying language was going to be the least of our issues Well, language was a huge issue.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine so.
1: (laughs) You bring a four-year-old home and you don't know anything. And, you know, he's crying all the time and we don't know what to do. And But it also kind of felt like he was an animal that had been let out of a cage. Sure. The way he ran around the house and just trashed anything in his sight. So, you know, we had to, anything that was about Waste level to us or under, we just boxed it up and got it out of our house yeah. because it would have been destroyed. Yeah. And he didn't understand, no. And even if he did, he wasn't going to do it. And right. so it was just crazy. We came home, immediately had a couple of surgeries. His teeth were a mess. Hmm. And, um, first time I took him to the dentist, we had gone to many doctors when we came home, we went to an orthopedic to see what was going on with the foot and it turned out he had had a club foot and it had been repaired by what they think was probably a missionary doctor. Okay. And they said, it was a good job. So don't worry about it. They said, did you know Christy Yamaguchi at the time she was a figure skater at the Olympics? And they said, she's got a club foot. Hmm. We're like, really? (laughs) Okay. Don't worry about it. If she's got a club foot, then we're good. (laughs) So, um, but when I took him to the dentist, he freaked out and Hmm. the dentist actually thought, Maybe he was missing a tooth right in the front. And she said, I think that maybe somebody pulled a tooth without Novocaine. Oh, my God. Because gosh. the smell in the in their office was driving him. He, it was going oh. crazy over this oh. smell. So we ended up putting him under. Um, and she filled eight cavities, pulled eight teeth, deadened eight nerves. <laughs> His teeth were just... A mess. So, you know, the first several weeks we're home, they don't refrigerate anything over there. Over here, everything's in the refrigerator. So I'd get an apple or something and he would just, ah, the nerves in his teeth. So I had to uh, let everything okay. sit out or microwave yeah. it or get it to room, room temperature because he couldn't stand anything hot or cold. Wow. So that was crazy. Mm. And so we start thinking about school. And we waited until he was four, probably six or seven months, and we had him tested through an early intervention program in Colorado. And when the test results came back, they now we knew they were going to be low because of the language thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But he came back less than the first percentile. Whoa. And we're like, oh, my goodness. What are we talking about here? Like one of the tests that they gave him, they put two blocks next to each other and then stacked one on top and asked him to do it. And he couldn't figure out how to do it. And I remember saying to the therapist, like, how can you not know how to do this? And they they said, first of all, part of this is spatial relations. Like you learn your whereabouts. Am I over on top of under whatever when you're learning to crawl? And when you're down on the ground, he was in a crib till he was two and he never learned to crawl. Hmm. So that cross crawl in the brain, you know, left and right hemisphere of the brain, all of that, he missed it. So he couldn't walk up the steps. You know, he'd do a left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. He couldn't go left, right, left, right right for probably a year after he was home. He didn't know how to swing. He didn't know how to slide. So you've got a four and a half year old who can't swing. Right. Who can't go on the slide. He didn't know how to do any of this. And he didn't know how to play by himself. He didn't even understand what play was. And I didn't know that you had to learn how to play.
0: Yeah, I didn't either. No, yeah.
1: it, you know, it was, it, it just felt so crazy because we're yeah. like, these are things that every child knows how to right. do and he didn't it know be how natural. to do that. Yes. Yeah. And they kept saying he is going to need thousands of repetitions, thousands. So I used to sing the days of the week and numbers and colors, and it would be so frustrating because sometimes he would know red and the next day he didn't know red. Right. And so we did two years of preschool. The second year he did actually a half day of preschool and a half day of kindergarten. And then the next year he repeated kindergarten and... You know, we just kept trying to catch him up. But there were all these other crazy things going on, too, in our home Mm. that besides the special education and we had him in occupational therapy and physical therapy and vision therapy. And, you know, if there's another kind of therapy, we did that, too. (laughs) Right. And we had him prayed over numerous times, people at our church and all kinds of stuff that, you know, just trying to help. And we just kept feeling like one of these days it's going to click and our family's going to be okay. Right. And as time went on, it just kept getting worse. And Mm. we're like, what is the problem? Well, now that I have this degree (laughs) and have talked to people all over the world, I understand trauma. Mm. We didn't understand trauma. Nobody explained that to us. You know, at this point there was there was nothing about developmental trauma or anything like that. We did have him diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder and okay. that was pretty clear. You know, they had a now, This is a confusing and controversial diagnosis.
0: Okay, sure.
1: Lots of therapists will not diagnose it. They don't like it. It feels to some of them like you're putting a death sentence on this kid or something Uh, like they're never going to be able to have relationships and they can't be in a family. And so they won't diagnose it. But we're walking around with this alphabet soup of diagnoses because we had PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. We had generalized anxiety disorder. We had nonverbal learning disorder. We had, you know, there were some sensory issues. We had all these crazy diagnoses. And every time I would get another one, I felt like I had to take a grad school class, right. you know, to learn.
2: To just know what it is. What is this? Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: And right. you have to learn what it is so that then I can go in and tell the teachers and right. the therapists and the coaches and whoever else was in around, you know, Sunday school teachers, because yeah. he didn't learn the same way. And these weird behaviors would come out in the middle of somewhere and nobody knew what to do with it. So I had Amen. to learn it and then go teach it. Yeah and oh, it was super lonely. It was really scary. It was actually traumatizing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize I was being traumatized through this. I, so things started happening in me physically. Um, I definitely knew I was having anxiety. I just, I remember one time just feeling like, okay, I used to be a fairly normal person. And now like I'm twitching and I've got (laughs) these weird, you know, I couldn't sleep. I had months where I didn't sleep at all to where I ended up going to see a psychiatrist because I was afraid I was going to die. I remember thinking you can't live without sleep and I'm living for months on end with no sleep. Like I, Hmm. I was so exhausted and I would go lay down at night. So thankful to just be in my bed and then it would be two o'clock and then it's four o'clock. And then I'm panicking because I know the day's starting. And I, I I, remember calling my mom sometimes at 10 o'clock and saying, I don't think I can make it to noon. I don't know what to do. And I'm crying and, you know, oh, it was just like insane.
0: Yeah, that that is so much. Oh, my gosh.
1: Wow. So, <laughs> you know, my husband and I are struggling because our son would act totally different with him than he did with me.
2: Mm.
1: And what that would look like is he would fight me on everything all day long from the color of the sky, you know, and I I get that sometimes he didn't know colors, but once he did, like I would, he'd come in and say, the sky is purple. No, no, sweetie. The sky is blue. And he would fight me to the death on Mm. that it's just not given on anything. He would, um, consistently pick out the dirty clothes from his closet to put back on, you know, it's like put on clean clothes, go, okay, go put on a clean shirt. You'd go find one with ketchup stains all over it. That was out of the wash, you know, um, just ridiculous mm-hmm. stuff like this 24 seven and manipulative. It, it was, it's so hard to understand that a child, would feel so unsafe in their world that they have to manipulate everything and control everything in their world. And I didn't understand this. We didn't have any therapists that knew this. Hmm. So we're just looking at behaviors going, what in the world fighting the other kids for position in the family. It's like, you're not going to win that one. You're not going to be older.
2: Right. Yeah. It just doesn't,
0: that doesn't happen.
1: No, nature doesn't work that way. So, but he wouldn't accept it. And if he ever had to go to bed later than, or earlier than them, he, there'd be a huge fight and just everything he, he and our other son could not stand each other. And I think it was because they saw similar patterns. I remember saying to my husband once when he had been here about two years, it's like, okay, these boys were born on the opposite sides of the earth different cultures, different languages, everything. And they are acting like twins. Hmm. How, how is this possible? What is going on here? Yeah.
0: You know, well, and, and two very different stories, right? I yes. Mean, yeah. Right, yeah.
1: One That's brought pretty. home straight from the hospital.
0: Right. right. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I used to question that, how could a child who was adopted at birth have any of these kinds of issues? Right. But what I've learned, you know, the minute a baby is conceived, they know who their mom is. Yes. They yes. know her smell, her feel, her walk, her sound. They feel her anxiety. Yep. They, it, you know, some of them, ours did not have drug or alcohol exposure, but if they do, they are born with that. And a lot of times we think, oh, we just need to detox them and then they'll be fine. No, this is brain damage.
2: Yeah.
0: Right.
1: And, you know, thankfully that was not our issue, but a lot of the families that I deal with, it is, yeah, it's a huge issue. It is. And, yeah. yeah.
0: And yeah. And I, I cannot tell you how many people that I talked to and, this, and I get it. I get why you would think this, but think that if you're just there from birth, that it's just like bringing home your own child. It's a blank and, slate. Yeah. It just does not work that way. Right? No,
1: because I remember the minute we held our son, you know, this is what one of the therapists told me later on his mother had just delivered him and that's supposed to be the grand reunion and, and safety of, okay, you were on the inside. Now you're on the outside. I will still care for you. I will love you. And he's handed over to these strangers Mm -hmm. and he's got no language, no verbal skills, no ability to comprehend what's happening. And all he can, I just remember a look of kind of, huh? Like what?
0: Wait, what just happened? Yeah.
1: yeah. Who right. who are yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: When your voice doesn't comfort him like uh his his uh, birth mother's voice yes. comforted him for like since he was conceived, like you said, yes. right? Like that's all he knows. Yes. Yeah.
1: And I remember being on the airplane coming home with our son from Vietnam. He <laughs> well, he pinched me and kicked me and hit me for the, because he had never been in a seatbelt. He did mm-hmm. not want to be strapped down. So we had one flight from like Vietnam to, I don't even remember Saigon or no, we left from Saigon, either Singapore or Hong Kong. I can't remember. I think we went through Hong Kong coming back and that whole flight, he just pinched me and, you know, tried to get out. So I had my hand around his buckle so he couldn't unbuckle his seatbelt. and He just sat there and pinched me through the whole flight. And he missed his nap. And so we get on the next flight and it's a several hours in and he wanted to get up and he is fighting me and fighting me. And um, finally he fell asleep. And that was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. But about two hours in, the whole plane is dark. Everyone's asleep. And he starts this. Wah! 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 <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh my oh, gosh.
0: Did you just want to die? Right I there. am that oh my mom. Oh my gosh. And
1: the, the flight attendants were coming up saying, you know, um people on the flight would like you to do something. And I'm like yeah. If I go near him, it gets worse. You know, right. good luck. You, you want to try? They were Yeah. Bringing anybody's welcome. Yeah. Anybody else? <laughs> Somebody with dark hair and a dark and darker skin might work. Cause I'm blonde, you know, fake blonde right. anyway, but I looked around on the plane and I was the only one with blonde hair on that flight. Wow. My mom had black hair and my brother had black hair. Everybody was Asian and I'm the only fake blonde on the flight. And it was like, whoa right you know yeah so that must be what he felt like coming here
2: yeah right
1: you know looking around and you're the only one that looks like you mm. so anyway we we just did every type of therapy that you can imagine that that was out there i was driving him an hour every week to go to this attachment specialist in another town cuz that mm. he had been recommended by the agency and supposedly was like the best in the state at that time and went for I think, four years and had him come to our house for a thousand bucks a pop a couple of times, um, you know because he kept saying, well may let's let's get me into his environment, and then I can help you in your home, so he'd come and work with us, and you know nothing got better, nothing yeah. helped, and my mental health was starting to fade. We were starting to see the other kids um, you know, we wanted to be the family in the neighborhood that the kids would all come play at right we we moved a couple of times trying to work things out because at one in one home the boys shared a bathroom that was not going to work after the youngest one was smearing poop all over you know right yeah so we're not going to be able to do that anymore so we moved to another house and in this one the daughter and and him shared while the other one had his own bathroom well, she was starting to go through puberty and he's acting like he's gonna come into the bathroom all the time and he'd she'd be in the shower and he'd start jiggling the door handle. I'm coming in, I'm coming in. And then he would sneak into her room at night and stare at her while she was sleeping, and she'd wake up and he's touching her hair. And you know, I'd ask the psychologist or psychiatrist, why is he doing this? And he said, you know, when he was in the orphanage. Friends would just disappear.
2: Hmm.
1: They never told him where they were going. They yeah. didn't say, You're getting adopted. They didn't tell him what that was. He didn't know what a family was. So he'd wake up one day and his friend next to him was gone. So he's constantly worried. Every day he'd say, Where's dad? Where's dad? What time's dad home? What time's, you know, where's Katie? When, when's she going to be home? Where is she? And he, it was just nonstop, incessant questions. Hmm. And I would tell him every day, and it never made a difference. And I've learned since then, there's something that, that we call felt safety, Yeah. where a yeah. child, until they feel safe, they are not safe in their mind. And it doesn't matter. I remember we had been home about six years, and he went with me everywhere. I never left him, ever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. maybe a sitter, but it was usually my mom who had been mm-hmm. with us, and he knew her. Um, so we'd be coming home from the grocery store and pull into the garage. I would close the garage door. We'd get the bags out. And if I got to the door before him, he'd start screaming, wait, wait. Like I was leaving him and we're going into the house. We're not leaving, you know, and I would just say, sweetie, we're, we're home. We're coming together, you know, but it didn't make my words meant nothing.
2: Right.
1: He never felt safe. And so there was this love hate relationship he had with me because he really did want me, but he would reject me at every moment he could and he would sabotage everything. One time we were walking at Disney World. We had planned this trip for years. The kids even helped me pay for it. You know, I had a business at the time, they would do things for me to help pay for this trip and could not wait to go on this trip. And we got into there. And first thing they wanted to do was Shamu. So we went to Shamu and he looked at me and started yawning and putting his hands up in the air like he's stretching and so tired and laid down and promptly deliberately fell asleep so he would actually miss the show. He sabotaged himself in that way. Wow. And then one time we were walking and he actually accidentally grabbed my hand cuz he forgot he hated me. And all of a sudden he looked down and realized that he had my hand and he threw my hand down and he was mad at me. Yeah. Because he had forgotten and mm. actually allowed me in for a second, you know. Wow. Yeah. And it was just like crazy. Crazy yeah. crazy crazy. So I started really struggling and I was crying a lot. I was not sleeping. I was seeing a psychiatrist for anxiety, depression, and sleep issues. I was on what I later discovered was the same little concoction that killed Michael Jackson.
0: <laughs> oh, that's, that's comforting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Mine was not being administered IV, you know. Right, right, yeah. And in large quantities. But still, right. when they said what he was on, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's what I was on. Wow. Just to get me to sleep. And just to get me to my body to calm down because trauma impacts us physiologically. Right. And I, I, said to my psychiatrist, like, which it even sounds funny saying that, Oh, I said to my psychiatrist, but I, I said, can you catch anxiety? Cause I was never an anxious person before. And he said, Oh yeah, absolutely. You
0: can yeah, definitely.
1: So here I am on all these meds crying, falling apart. And one night at bed at bedtime, I told my husband, if something drastic doesn't change, you're going to end up a single dad.
2: Hmm.
1: I said, I'm not leaving, but I believe I'm going to die. This is going to kill me. And I don't, I don't have a diagnosis. I don't know that there's anything physically wrong, but I can feel my body shutting down hmm. and I can't do this anymore. Like I am so wired and wigged out all the time. I cannot do this anymore. And I don't know what that means, but I'm done. Hmm. So help me because I'm dying is basically what I was saying. Right. And I had said this for about two years and we just kept trying a new thing. And I said, no respite is going to do this. No new therapy is going to fix this. I don't know what this means, but something may, I mean, so we actually talked about the possibility of him getting an apartment with our son. Mm. And, you know, over time we're like, that is not an answer. Yeah. Right. Let's separate our family to keep our family together. You know, that's not an answer. We didn't know what to do. Mm. And we didn't know anybody who had ever been through this before. We didn't know that there was an answer. We didn't know what to do. Mm. So the day after I told him that we were, actually in a consignment store looking for a cheap uh, dress because he had a work thing that we needed to go to. And we had no money because we were spending more on therapy than our house payment for about (sighs) three years in a row. So Hmm. I needed a $10 dress to go to a business (laughs) function. (laughs) So we walked into this consignment store that a friend of mine owned and Two years prior prior to this, they had come to us asking if we would um, be their support through an adoption. Hmm. And they wanted to know all the good, the bad, the ugly. And we shared it all with them and they knew. Yeah. So we walk in to her store that day and she says, hey, guess what? And I said, what? She said, we're getting ready to adopt. And two years prior when they had gone through this, they withdrew because she found out she was pregnant with twins. So that's okay. why they had not done it before. So now she's right. telling me we're going to adopt. I said, oh, are you finally going to get your little girl? At this point, they had four little boys. And okay. she said, okay, so they had a nine-year-old. Uh, let me think, nine, four, and twins that were like a year and a half. And they're saying they're getting ready to adopt.
0: <laughs> that is a, uh, yeah, that's a full, that's full house yeah, right there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And she says, no, God's made it really clear. It's a boy, he's local, and he's older. And I started to cry. And she said, you got one you want to wrap up? And I said, no, that's not what I want. But I don't, you know, I just said the night before, I can't do this anymore. So she said, could we just take him for the day and give you some time to think and rest? I said, thank you. So they picked him up the next day after church and kept him all day. And then the next weekend they took him from Friday afternoon till Sunday night at bedtime. And we started thinking, well, maybe this could be a weird little, (laughs) you know, situation that might work for us. We'll have him during the week. They can take him on the weekends But what started happening was his anxiety would spike every time he came home. So he'd do great over there, and then he'd come home, and it was worse than ever. And and then I started recognizing the same thing was happening with me. He'd Mm -hmm. leave, and I'd crash, and I'd try and participate in something with our family on Saturday, but by Saturday evening, I was starting to panic again. And I didn't know what was happening. I was diagnosed two years later with PTSD. So I I didn't realize that's what it was, but I was having PTSD attacks. So uh, spring of uh, 2009, they had him for a holiday. It was President's Day weekend. Mm -hmm. And he was supposed to stay till Monday at bedtime. Our daughter at the time was 16 or almost 16. And so she was taking driver's ed classes. And she was out with a An instructor on a drive, and at about nine o'clock that night, the doorbell rang, and I flipped because I thought they were bringing him home. Right. And she just wanted to come and say, "Hey, I'm in the neighborhood, and I'm driving by our house. Look at me, you know." So I said, "Hey, great job, sweetie." She shut the door, and I crumbled onto the ground. Hmm. And I said to my husband, "I can't do it anymore. I cannot do it. I he can't come home tomorrow. I'm not ready. I can't do it. I don't know what to do, you know. I'm just flipping out and." he called them and he said, can he stay longer? And they had been waiting for us. My husband was the, he was the um, one holding up the ship here. They yeah. were ready. My husband just kept saying, you can't do this. You don't do this. And so when he called them that day, they said, we can take him the rest of his life. And I just, Yeah. And viewers, you can't see, <laughs> but we've got some tears here. Yeah, I mean, right. it's it's yeah. it's an awful story. No, it's an it awful is. story. Yeah. My husband felt like he was having to choose between his wife and his son. Hmm. And, you know, what option did he have? He didn't.
2: Yeah.
1: He said he'd pick me any time. But, you know, then he had anger and resentment toward me yeah. that had to be worked through. And so they... They had guardianship for a while
2: Hmm.
1: and um, we signed over medical power of attorney in case he hurt himself. They could get him treatment. We didn't know what was happening. We just, you know, I just crashed for a while. I could hardly get out of bed for a while. Um, It was so bad. I mean, I Hmm. can't even tell you, you think it was bad before. So when I'm working with my clients, I'm like, if you think there's an easy button here and you're, if, if you place him like all your worries will be over and now you can start living your life. No, yeah. this, there is no, you are going to suffer. <laughs> if the child stays in your home, you are going to suffer if the child is removed from your home. So you need to settle in for a long season of suffering, but I'll walk right. you through it. Cause I know how to yeah. do this. It's like <laughs> at that point, I always say, if you want your money back, <laughs> You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. there you go. Cause that's not the right. answer they want to hear, but yeah, you are just going to be suffering for a while because there is no, yeah. you love this child. And if this child can't make it in your family, and that's really what we came to. He is not thriving.
0: Right. Yeah. It's not good for nobody's, nobody's uh, no, thriving. In our this kids situation. would not yeah. come
1: for dinner. Right. They, they, yeah. you know, we'd say it's dinner and I'm not <clears throat> coming. They couldn't sit at our table. Right. You know, so he finally was moved into this home. It actually took over a year because I don't really know why. Their family was just not in a hurry to finalize. They were figuring it out and doing what they needed to do. And there's a lot of paperwork and we couldn't push it. So it took over a year. And I Mm -hmm. remember going to court that day and us on one side, them on the other side, And we were terminating our parental rights. And the judge is saying, so you are telling me that you are unfit to parent this child. Well, no, that's not exactly what we're saying. But for your purposes, yes. Right. And he was adopted that same day. So he was never an orphan. He did not have to go through a system or whatever they you know and yeah. the the judge actually said to us he said he does family court said most of my cases a child is removed due to abuse or neglect and he said if you can believe it this is a happy day in my court
2: mm-hmm. this
1: is two two families coming together for the best interest of a child no one was abused no one was neglected it's just it's not working And so we're trying to find a better option. And, you know, what we've learned is the moms in these situations are what we would call a nurturing enemy, because whatever happened to him in the first three and a half years of his life, first of all, the mom that he thought was going to care for him did not. Yeah. And then love in the orphanage ended up meaning neglect. Even with the best intentions, when you have 40 kids in a room and one worker, there's neglect, possibly abuse. We don't know. Um, And it it rewires their brains. And so a mom figure, and I was mom, is a threat. Right. And in the new family, he did call her mom, but for some reason, he kind of felt like he had a choice in this one. Hmm. So he did better. He didn't do fantastic, but he did better. Yeah. That family still almost blew apart, but they did better than yeah. we did. And um, so it's a bizarre, bizarre situation. This was back in 2009. So it's been 10 years. Mm. You know, We've had 10 years to heal from PTSD. My marriage almost didn't make it several times. We, we separated a couple times and had to work through a lot of stuff. There had to be a lot of healing. And, you know, our family is still healing, but now I work with these other families and, you know, sometimes just having somebody who's been through it and they understand, and I'm not judging them and they don't feel like total failures because I say, Hey, anything you say about yourself, point it right at me. Yeah. Cause I did it too. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many ways we could go here, you know, (laughs) there's, uh, there's the, the spirituality thing, the Christian thing, which is so difficult. There's, you know, I, we met spe- where we were speaking at an yeah. adoption conference. And right. it's so interesting because I'm always kind of put in this back room and people want to look around to make sure no, none of their friends see they're coming right. into my workshop. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> and, and I think that's the point that most people don't know. Most people know adoption and foster care is hard. I talk about it a lot on this podcast, you are in a sub genre, like a, a genre of adoption, which is relinquishment, which is like a whole nother level, right? I mean, there's just yeah. there's nothing that compares with that.
1: And you know what? Though there's hundreds of us,
0: right? There are thousands there are. of us,
1: and and yeah. we skunk, we slink around in the back rooms of yes. adoption support groups because we're ashamed, yeah, we're judged, we're mm-hmm. condemned. Everybody thinks it's our fault and we're not the ones who brought the trauma in. And I'm not saying it's the child's fault. I'm blaming trauma, right? Trauma is a crazy beast. And, Mm -hmm. but the adoptive parents get blamed for it. Totally. And it's like, how can you take this family that, before all of this was kind of like a pillar of the community and the, you know, everybody's like, Oh, you guys are so amazing. You're doing this.
0: You adopted such good things. Right?
1: Yes. Yeah. And like yeah. my older son, I've told him the adoption community doesn't even really like me. And he's like, hello, I'm still here.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: You still have an adopted son. <laughs> you know, yeah. right.
1: we are, I am an adoptive sister Right. I am an adoptive mom twice domestic and international and I'm also a placing mom. Hmm. So, I kind of know adoption.
0: Yeah, yeah, you do. You do. Uh yeah. You're, you're it's just so hard to like even I mean, yeah. <laughs> sorry, and, sorry uh, to leave you speechless. No, no. Not at all. Yeah, which is rare. I'm very rarely <laughs> speechless as people will attest to. But uh, Okay. And, and now let, let's, let's look back though, at like your story, because I think the beautiful thing about this is that <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to know why God puts you in that position. Yeah. Right. And like, why him and why Vietnam? And, you know, cause mm-hmm. like you said, it's like, God, it seemed like God's call at that yeah. time. Right. It all made sense at that moment. And, I still and now you look was. back, right. Right. And you look back and how do you like, yeah. How do you contextualize all that stuff in light yeah. of where you are now? Well,
1: you know, so one of the workshops that I did at the conference that we met at was called mm-hmm. when you follow God's call and your life falls apart. <laughs> that's
0: a great, that's a great one.
1: And what I want to say is everybody has to kind of get their, their own way. My journey yeah. may not be what everybody else goes to. Cause I had moments where I was teaching Bible study. And I'd come home and chuck my Bible and say, "Leave me alone! Yeah. I don't if that if this is what you're doing, I don't want it." You know, no. I um, I do want to. I want to share one story and then I'll kind of come back around here. So, sure. our son had been gone about six weeks, and I remember it was early one morning, and I was pacing around my kitchen floor, just kind of duking it out with God, like. I was speaking out loud, kind of loudly (laughs) and saying, kind of, are you kidding? Like, so you asked us to go and we went and we've spent probably a hundred grand on this and we're broke. I I shouldn't say that we were not broke, but it felt like we were broke. And we've been to every specialist. We've been to all the prayer. We've done, we asked you to heal him, but in our family, we didn't ask you to take him out of our family to heal him. And finally, my last little jab was, are you really asking us to give up our son? Yeah. And right as I said it, my eye caught the Easter basket sitting there because I Hmm. had forgotten it was Easter Sunday. And I just screamed at God, are you asking me to give up my son? So... I braced because I was expecting to be hit by lightning yeah. and taken out and yeah. I covered my head and I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. if I could take it back. And so I'm waiting for this judgment. And I sat there for a minute and here's what I heard. I heard the God of the universe say to me, it really hurts. Doesn't it?
0: Jeez, Carrie.
1: And I thought, oh, oh my gosh, oh. he is relating to me. And yeah. over the next several months, I felt him saying, you know, how it went. I remember my dad died a couple of years before we brought our son home. And I remember feeling like I was part of that group of people who lost their dads and nobody wants to be in that group. Yeah. Well, now I was part of a group of people who had to or chose to, however you want to look at it give oh. up their son and yeah. god was the founding member of that group
2: yeah wow
1: and at that moment is when i knew i was going to be okay i didn't know how long it was going to take or what it was going to look like and i knew it was going to be ugly but i knew he was going to walk me through it and he did
2: hmm. and
1: i don't know what the reason is totally i do believe that if our son had been in vietnam i think he'd be dead by now Right. I also know he was saved here. He's not living like it. He doesn't understand it. He's totally off. But I remember sitting in the car when he was in the back seat and he said, I want to be baptized. He said, I want to be baptized.
2: <laughs>
1: and I said, Well, sweetie, you need to understand what it means. And we took him in and the pastor grilled him and he understood
2: hmm.
1: and we baptized him. Wow. And I remember when he spoke in broken English. All the time, except for when he was praying in our pastor's office one time, and his English was perfect, hmm. and I remember at my husband's mom's funeral, and he said i want to I want to speak," and he got up with his little Bible man Bible, and he picked the verse and he he spoke the last verses in Matthew, and he said that God said, "Lo, I will be with you to the ends of the earth <laughs> you know oh. and i, I call you to go out and make disciples of everyone in every nation. And our son is reading this from his Bible, man, Bible.
2: Wow. In perfect
1: English. Hmm. So I don't know. I know we're not done yet. I see God continuing to heal our little family and I believe he's going to bring this first full circle. Yeah. I've seen some amazing things with my brother. I've seen some amazing and I remember years ago my I felt like God had said my brother was the start of this in our family which caused us to then adopt our first son which then he was the one who asked for us to adopt our next son and that's wow. how the healing's going to come to was first yeah. my brother and by the way I baptized my brother a year and a half ago.
0: No, oh, praise God. And wow.
1: both of our boys are kind of wandering and searching and yeah. struggling and angry and trauma but I'm believing that God's going to bring him around and he will because he has to. Yeah. He just has to. There's no other option. <laughs> and it's not my job, it's his. So
0: Yeah. Amen. Right? How's that? <laughs> yeah, no it's yeah. I mean that was amazing. I I yeah. Yeah, your your story is incredible. I just want to thank you for being willing to share. Uh, and talk about it I absolutely.
1: Know, you know, and I'm I'm difficult. speaking for all the other families out there too, well, because it, a lot of them don't have. They're scared. Yeah, and and they yeah. feel so ashamed. And so my story is one of many. Yeah, but yeah. I already wrote about it, so I don't care. So
2: <laughs> it's already out
1: there. Go ahead.
2: Right. <laughs>
0: Well, and uh, uh, Wednesday or Thursday, the the replanted conference yes. this year begins, and so I mean, I'm I'm already a little emotional going into this yeah, week, and yeah, tired, yeah. and uh, just, but but I feel like uh, people who are in that uh capacity, even like even contemplating relinquishment, they just are so broken and just in need, and uh, yeah, I appreciate your well, work and you know, and, you know.
1: Hurry, I want to say not even just those people. Yeah. I think my story relates to anybody who is broken and it yeah. doesn't matter whether you end up relinquishing or you don't, it's the same story. Right. It just is. And I, I so wish I could be there at replanted this year and I've talked to Jen and Josh about it and it's like my grandbabies do any minute, so I'm not <laughs> right. leaving this weekend, <laughs> yeah. but I'll see I you there that. next year.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll hang out yeah, then for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. No. And I, I, I appreciate that word. That is a good word. It's uh, it's brokenness and it's, it's hard. Right. And well, I, but trauma. I love how the father, yeah. the father uh, comforts you yeah. even in the midst of like the hardest thing you've ever walked yeah. through. He's, he shows up. He you know? does. And,
1: and now yeah. I can tell you, absolutely. I am more solid with God than I've ever been in my life. I see yeah. him. I, I see how he walked me through it. I couldn't see it then but yeah. i look back now and it's like oh my gosh you saved me there and you saved me there i am right. stunned that i'm alive i'm yeah. thankful that i'm alive and so he is so good even yeah. in the midst of this crazy he is so good so i just want to be an encouragement and i want to thank you for having me because this is not a story that a lot of people want to open up their <laughs> platform to it,
0: sure.
2: but
1: it's real yeah. it's
2: yeah it yeah
1: it's happening yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: right Right. It totally is. And it needs to be, it needs to be talked about because if we leave it over, you know, oh, we don't, we don't talk about that sort of stuff over to the side, you know, then. uh, Well, and the thing is, some of these
1: kids, they do much better in that second family. For some reason, we don't really understand it. And it's such a sacrifice on the part of the first family. Well, which really is not the first family because there was a family before us. And some of these kids, it just takes more than one family to Mm. get them all the way through. And um, there's no shame in that. And we yeah. need to be able to speak about that in the adoption community and say, we'll still stand with you no yeah. matter what. Right. So thank you. Amen.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you. That's, uh, yeah, thanks. That's great stuff. Is, uh, could you, uh, let me, let me, let me resume <laughs> speaking here. Yeah. Is there some resources and things that you want to give out for people? I know I'd love to know how to yeah, contact you or absolutely. whatever. But, well, my yeah. website
1: is carryotool.com. Okay. And I've got a book that's called Relinquished When Love Means Letting Go. I have mm-hmm. a film that's called Forfeiting Sanity, which is the story of three families we all adopted from the same, using the same agency, from the same orphanage. The kids were all in the same room at the same time. Oh, wow! And what we discovered was 14 years later, all of the kids had been removed from their homes. Wow. And we're like, okay, oh. what the heck is going on yeah. here? And my older son is a filmmaker. And he saw that and he said, mom, we have to do that story. So all of that is available on my website. And then I also do coaching for families who are struggling. Um, I I mainly am focused on their issues, their struggles in their marriage, in with their extended family, because this creates all kinds of crazy with their own grief and their own trauma and boundaries and things like that. And then twice a year, I do a retreat that we call the relinquished retreat for parents. And we bring families who've been through this together because they've never known anybody else who's had to do it. And bringing them together is an amazingly healing thing. And we work through, because I know a lot about grief and trauma, we use right brain, left brain to help them heal up the trauma. We do activities that help them heal up the grief. And it's really a miraculous weekend. It, it's yeah. amazing. And we don't, I, we joke at the begin. Well, I'm joking. They're all scared to death, but I joke at the beginning that we're not going to start. Okay. It's like, okay, ready? Start crying now. Like we're going to cry the whole weekend. There's actually right. a lot of laughter and breaking the tension because we all have lived crazy things. Yeah. So those are some, some of the ways that I would love to be able to help anybody who's hurting.
0: Yeah. I love that. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Uh, well, are you ready to jump into our last two you questions? You bet.
1: I can't yeah, remember right. what they were, but go ahead and ask.
0: <laughs> You'll be great. You'll be great. Okay. So my first question is, what is the strangest job that you have ever had?
1: Well, I was one of, so I'm older than you. This was back in the late 80s or the late 70s, early 80s. Okay. And I worked at okay. McDonald's and I was one of the first um, fry cooks that was a, a girl.
0: Oh, really? Oh, yes.
1: And I was competitive and figured out how to flip two and three burgers at a time. They don't even make them like that anymore. But
0: <laughs> Yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that's a lost art it, today. It's a lost yeah. art. Yeah. They're like,
1: oh, you're a girl. Do you want to work the cashier? And I'm like, no, I want to make the burgers.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I love it. I love it. That's good. Um okay, so then my final question is what is one piece of advice you would give to somebody looking to bring God's kingdom more into their work?
1: Wow. You know, I would say start your day out in prayer obviously, mm. but I when I, I used to be a type A person <laughs> and this all mellowed me. So I'm I'm much <laughs> much more laid back now. Sure. But I started like giving him my agenda for the day. And saying, What do you want me to do today? Hmm. What do you have in store for me today? And if he didn't list it, I didn't do it. Hmm. And so when I was done, sometimes I was done earlier than I thought I needed to be done. And I'm like, Okay, what now? And I'd hear, Go take a nap. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah, that trauma wipes you out. Go take a nap. (laughs) And so, you know, now in the mornings, I typically, not every day, but, you know, I'll read the Bible a little bit and I will um i journal that's that's how i hear god like i can underline what i think he's saying and my so i can tell the difference between him and me sure. and um i'll just ask him each day you know what do you have for me today and sometimes it's like call this person i have no idea why or go get your glasses fixed this was a, the most bizarre story but went to get my glasses fixed, ended up talking to this woman several different times. And I think she, she hasn't come yet, but I think she's going to come to church. She wow. doesn't know God at all. And it's like, go get mm-hmm. your glasses fixed on this day at this time. What? <laughs> he, he's very particular if you'll yes. allow it, you know? Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, I appreciate that. That's, that's, I think that's awesome. So Carrie, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. You bet. And, yeah, thanks so much it's for been having me. Yeah. It's been great to see you. And, uh, I'm excited about the grandbaby. Can't wait to yes, see the uh, yes. pics. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So. Me too. Well, have <laughs> right. a great time at replanted and I'll see you yes. there next
0: year. Okay. Sounds great. I can't wait. Bye bye. Well, thanks for listening everybody to Carrie's interview. I just, again, am struck by how God uses everything, right? Like Carrie went through one of the toughest things that you, you know, you possibly can. And, uh, God is using that to bless other families that are in the thick of it. And, uh, it's just amazing to me how God, God uses things for, uh, for his good and for the good of others. And so, yeah, I hope that encourages you. I hope you walk away encouraged and, uh, yeah. And if you are, you know, in this realm or know somebody, uh, you know, even considering relinquishment, I just suggest Carrie stuff. It's, it's the best out there. Uh, she has an amazing Uh, amazing thing going on and so yeah uh, make sure and reach out to her all the infos below Uh, if you could uh, leave me a rating and review on iTunes or whatever app you use it really helps get the word out about the podcast Uh, and uh, you know everybody needs a little encouragement now and again so I'll do a shameless plug to have you have you review review me on there so uh, yeah uh, please do all that for me and until next time get out there and hustle.